When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And Manchester City have just won the Champions League. That followed the FA Cup victory a week earlier and a third in a row Premier League title. Manchester City, treble winners. Manchester City, European champions. The best team in the land and all the world. How does that yes. feel? Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, they're not even been introduced yet and they're already getting involved. Listen, how does that feel? What does that sound like? I've just returned from Istanbul in time to record the show. And so have all three of my guests. They were all there as well. Welcome to, welcome to Stato Paul Denby. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Nigel. Still on cloud 57, I think, or 75 or 150. Fantastic. Welcome to Dave, get that right, Dave Hodgson, whatever your bloody name is, but welcome, Dave, anyway. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. And welcome to Tony Newgrosh. Hi, Tony. All right. I'm all right. I'm all about that all right. Tony, how does that feel? How just just talk about feelings and emotions. Let's just start with that. How does it f- feel? Champions of Europe. You'll it never feels, sing that. Yeah, it feels bloody marvelous. It's a real mixture, isn't it? Tired, elation, physically, emotionally drained, relieved. But you know what? Most of all, proud. Absolutely proud of the way they dug out a victory, dug out the treble, and. For all the cityitis over the years, and despite all the pressure Inter had, and we knew we would do it, didn't we? And the boys brought it home. Dave, how does it sound? How does it feel? It's just wonderful, isn't it? I mean, we've been dreaming of this for so long. We felt like, you know, we had a, we've had a few false dawns along the way. You know, I'm sure we all have moments during that game where we felt pretty nervous and worried that we weren't going to come through with it. But, you know, they dug deep. We got there. And look, you know... I feel, you know, it's just such a vindication of that squad, everything that's gone into this season. I couldn't be happier for them. I couldn't be happier for us. It's just a wonderful, wonderful day. Describe your emotions then, finally then, Stato, before we get into a bit of the detail. 
Oh, it was just incredible when that final whistle went after Edison made that wonderful save in the 97th minute or whatever it was. The emotion in the stands was just absolutely incredible. When Rodri scored, it started. We thought that could be it. But into due respect to them, they played brilliantly. Uh, possibly the better team on the night. Who cares? Um, we won it. And the emotions around the stadium were just absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe it. There were people who were actually in tears. There was a guy in front of me. I was lucky. I had a six-foot-six giant stood in front of me. So I was looking at that. But at the end, he was in tears. It was incredible. Brilliant. Well, I have no harm. I have no hesitation saying I was in tears too. Absolutely tears rolling down my face. So I don't hesitate to say that and I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, yeah, I, w- I just, just that emotion. And, and it's interesting during the game, you could, it, the kind of the tension that you talk about and the nervousness, it was palpable. The fans, you know, they were amazing. I have to say, the, the Inter fans were fantastic throughout, both around the city, uh, before the game, after the game. I thought they were brilliant. And, and in the stadium, I think it probably made more noise than us. They, they were there to have a party. There was no, there was no pressure on, on them. But City, the pressure, the fact that we needed to get this monkey off our back, I felt it was palpable. Would, would, would that be fair, Dave? Did you feel that as well in the stadium? Oh, Completely. Um, I think, you know, part of it was testament, as you say, not just to Inter's fans creating a great atmosphere, but also, you know, Inter made it very difficult for us to play. They, uh, as we expected, you know, Bastoni isolated Haaland pretty well. They really shut us down in midfield. De Bruyne going off got us all a bit worried again. But, you know, we were just sat there with that sense that once again, it might just be that everything was going wrong on the night. And I think that did go through, you know, there was a bit of a feedback loop between fans and players a little bit on that. But, you know, I think it's testament to the character that the squad have shown, particularly the second half of the season, that they, you know, managed to sort of push all that down and turn that into into something productive. And, you know, again, as things started to switch, you felt that mood change within our fans. You felt the the atmosphere get louder and louder, ramping up to the final whistle to see them home. And I I just thought it was, you know, as as you say, it it was moving, it was beautiful. And, you know, you really felt the fans and the players were in were in sync. It was just beautiful to see. What about uh, that goal then, Tony? Uh, we were <laughs> we were knocking on the door. We had a, Harlan missed a couple of chances. I think Bernardo early on missed a good chance as well. Uh, and then Rodri just sort of comes comes up and just and again he just didn't put his laces through it. When you see it, and we've seen it, I don't know how many times you've seen. It, I've seen it a few times. He 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 placed that, didn't he? I mean, he hit it well, but he placed it beautifully. There were plenty of people between him and the goal, and he managed just to to put it in perf- the perfect place. Just just describe that for us, then help t- take us through that moment again. But just, I mean, it was just a beautiful control finish, wasn't it? And people said, well, he was lucky to get it through all those. But he wasn't lucky. He did exactly the same against Villa last year. And let's not forget the important contribution that goal made to the season. It was just a fantastic finish by a fantastic footballer um, who deserves every single plaudit. And he's very, very well deserving of the winner in the Champions League final. Haaland will get all the plaudits, won't he, for his season, and rightly so. But he's the one who's really put those hard yards in. He's hardly missed a game. He's never put a foot wrong on or off the pitch for me. And I'm just personally delighted for him and delighted for the team. And there's no secret to regular listeners on this show, Stato, that Fernandinho is one of my all-time favourite City players. And we were worried about who was going to replace him. But Rodri, what a, what a player. And it, as, as Tony said, fantastic. He's got the winning goal. Best position, best player in that position in the world without a doubt um he's had a fantastic season 
deserving, as Tony just said, of scoring the winning goal in the Champions League final. His performance in nearly every single game this season has been top-rate. Of course, he has the odd game where he's not at the same level, but you'd say, I don't know how many games out of the 60 he's played in, but it's I think he's in the 50s. He's been absolutely brilliant, and the guy now deserves a rest, a holiday, whatever it is, go and take it. It's outrageous they've got to come back in August, or maybe discuss that another time. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic for Rodri. And he's a worthy replacement for Fernandinho because I think a lot of people felt the same as you, Nigel, that Fernandinho had had a great few years at City, been absolutely masterful in that position of defensive midfield. But Rodri, he's younger than Fernandinho, he's got a few more years left. If he continues playing for City in in that position, uh, the levels he's reached so far, absolutely brilliant for him and the club. I mean, sadly, I can answer your question, Stato, for you, that Rodri has played 56 games, 4,500 minutes played. He's played 82% played minutes, which I think is the highest of any City player. Um, and he's got a win rate of 71%. There you go. Done my research for a change for this show. Dave, you wanted to say something? I think the one thing I really wanted to say about Rodri is a real testament to his mentality, because I thought he had a very poor first half. I thought he was struggling. He was trying, you know, he was struggling to get into the pace of the game, got caught in possession a couple of times and was below the level we'd seen him. And, you know, as the ball landed to him in, in that 70th minute where he'd grown into the game further and further, he showed such a cool head to get that finish away. And you just saw the explosion in him when it went in, you know, that controlled sort of almost controlled anger that he channeled into that form. <coughs> he got back into it, just the explosion of relief as he, as he ran off to, to celebrate it, I just thought it was the ultimate sign of the mentality of a top, top class player that he could, you know, struggle for the first for the first half and then, you know, come on and make the decisive contribution like that. He's he's a leader. He's a player we look to, you know, it feels like everyone, you know, defenders, midfielders, attackers are all looking to him to set the tempo and, and he does it. And you know, I think he's had an absolutely tremendous season. It's really interesting, Stato, isn't it, that we were all talking about the fact that lots of people say that it's going to be 4-1 City, 3-1 City, but most City players I spoke to said, listen, you know, a VAR disputed late winner in the 89th minute, just as long as we get the result. It was one of those games, was I think you've already said that they may well have been the better side, Inter on the night, but we just ground out a victory. We Our keeper was magnificent. Uh, we, we managed to keep a, a clean sheet and we got the goal and it was one of those situations where the result was more important in terms of how we played. And that's exactly how it turned out. 100%, definitely. I mean, yeah, the result meant everything. I think, as I think we touched on a few minutes ago, the crowd were nervous and I think the players were nervous. I'm not sure which way round it was, whether the players' nerves affected the crowd or vice versa or a combination of the two. But that first half... In the crowd, it was difficult to get our voices going. We sensed that we weren't on top of the game. We weren't doing it, running the game like we did, say, against Real Madrid. OK, that was an exceptional performance. But we weren't having it anywhere near our own way. Into a well-drilled, they understood their positions, what they needed to do to frustrate us, and looked dangerous going forward. So the crowd felt nervous. At half-time, I was still very, very nervous. Second half, we saw a little bit of improvement. But again, those last few minutes... Um, Reminded me of the cup final the week before. Those were the real chances they had. And so much so that Lukaku on the pitch actually blocked one going in. Edison made a stunning save right in the last minute. The other one I'd like to just comment on was when Lukaku had that header that hit Edison on the leg and bounced up, how did Diaz turn his head so quickly? Because that could have just hit his head and gone straight in. And he was so close to goal. That was a brilliant bit of defending as well. So all round defensively, 
other than that, a Kanji Edison mix-up, um, we won't talk too much about that. I thought we were pretty solid. Um, we fought for everything. And we've said, Tony, already that it probably wasn't the best performance in the, of the season, but who else stood out for you? Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> Lots of people had poor games. I think it would be fair to say that Harlan was, we've already said, it was kind of marked out the game. Grealish, his own admission, he said he was he was rubbish as well on the night. <laughs> uh, but anybody stand out for you? I've got one name written down here, again, who's just had a magnificent season, I think, and has improved and is being talked about as being a world-class <laughs> player. Um, I'll give you a clue. He comes from Barnsley. That's um, I, say. Uh, I mean, just 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 help us just talk about John Stones a bit. I mean, he's just gone from this, you know, Everton centre-back who we kind of bought and we thought, oh, well, I wonder how he's going to fit in. Suddenly, he's genuinely being talked now about one of the world's greatest players. How did that happen? Is it all down to Pep? I mean, obviously, the lads played a part as well, but what a transformation in that boy. Oh, absolutely. Um, and he was always very error-prone, wasn't he, when he first came to City? And that was always the concern, that he would always cost us a goal. But he's he's never shied away. And yes, he's been he's been a revelation this season, along with many of them, to be fair. I would pick out him and Diaz, I thought, was also magnificent uh, on the night. Um, so, yeah, no outstanding performances in many respects, but an outstanding victory and... I don't think anyone could be grudges. I think we finally got that bit of luck we deserved in this competition. You know, we've gone through unbeaten. We've destroyed two of the favourites in the previous rounds, played them off the pitch. We deserved that last night. Well, where are we now? On Saturday night. And it was great, great to watch, as as painful as it was. And I, as I say, I was actually quite calm towards the end. I just thought, just, we are just going to do this. We And they did us proud, didn't they? Can I throw one other name in then, Dave? We have touched on him, and he has been criticised for his shot-stopping over the over the seasons, but uh, Edison proved his worth on Saturday night. Fantastic. I mean, the, the clutch in the last you know, 10 minutes, again, the, the save from Lukaku, <coughs> the uh, tip over the bar just before the... Or not over the bar, but you know, the, the tip away from danger in the in the last, last few seconds of the game. I think he really stood up and was counted... In you know at the points where it mattered, and I think the de- the defence also took that sort of confidence from him as well. I mean, it was a bit of a weird performance from him because his usually flawless kicking was failing him a little bit in the first half. It seemed he was slipping over quite a bit and struggling with what seemed to be a very very slippery pitch. But you know he really did stand up, make some massive saves for us. Really showed that concentration, which sometimes I think he's being criticised for. And I thought it was a no, it was really, really good vindication for Pep and for Edison. He is a, a player for the big occasion and can, you know, show those sort of ice cool, um, you know, those uh, sort of nerves of steel that he uh, he showed when he first joined and really showcased those on the big occasion in in a shot stopping capacity as well as with his feet. Well, we're going to talk about Pep and what next for him and what next for the team. We're going to talk about uh, the European Super Cup and the Club World Cup for about half a second. Uh, are we going to uh, have a bit of a quiz that my guests don't know either? And we'll do a bit of a quiz uh, and we'll talk about uh, next season as well. We'll do all of that straight after this break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Before we talk about all of that stuff, there is one thing that we can't move on without discussing, and that's kind of UEFA uh, and the fact that they have really not considered match-going fans again. Huge problems uh, at the uh, at the fan zone, getting to the fan zone, getting to the the stadium, getting away from the stadium, complete chaos, and it was a complete disaster. And many many people have suffered. And I think it's only right that we spend a bit of time talking about that, uh, having already talked about all the positives. So let, let's just talk about. I mean, you can whether it's ticketing or travel or the fan zone or the food or just getting away from the stadium. Um, who wants to kick off? Stato, you you kick off on this. One. I know you've been. Uh, you're very eloquent on these matters. So kind of give us your give us a bit of those that weren't there, of course, have only read about it. Give us some of your personal experience of what you've seen and what you've heard from people who were there. I, w- I was fortunate getting there. We set up early from the fan zone in the city and we got there in an hour and three quarters. The traffic was horrendous. It's 17 miles out, I think, which is an absolute disaster. But it takes an hour and three quarters minimum. Other coaches that left later were taking three to four hours on some occasions. It's effectively, next year's at Wembley, they might as well have the fan zone in Birmingham and bus people down from Birmingham. It was so bad. The infrastructure, the Turkish people are fantastic. Let's not get that wrong. But the infrastructure to support a big match in that stadium is absolutely abysmal. One main road in, absolutely chock-a-block. Nobody could move. People were locked on their coaches, couldn't move, and it was disgusting. You got to the ground... The fan zone area was pretty decent, but then you had to queue up for food. There was one outlet for food, 50-minute queue when I went for food. The bars were serving beer. That wasn't a problem, so we had plenty to drink there. But they closed everything at 7 o'clock, three hours before kickoff, so people were forced to move into the stadium. If you tried to take a bottle of water that you just bought into the stadium, you weren't allowed, so you had to leave that outside, then go into the stadium, then queue up another hour. I heard people queuing up for an hour and a half to get food and drink in the stadium because the number of outlets in the stadium was too few, not enough locations and people were thirsty and hungry because they'd been stuck on coaches, got there late. I know we're focusing on the bad things. After the game, it was just diabolical. People came out. I had to come out a bit slower because my brother has to use a stick and we took our time. So we were at the back of the queue. By the time we got to the front of the queue, all the coaches had gone. Every single coach had gone back into the city centre by that stage, which is where we needed to get to. We were told the coaches would return, but even all the coaches hadn't even got out of the car park yet to go down the motorway to take the people into town. We eventually got home and home back to our hotel at 4.45 in the morning, absolutely shattered, still high, but it's not right. The uh, UEFA don't understand. They never try it for the fans. They don't really listen. And I'm sure... I'm sure the Liverpool fans had it very similar in 2005 and there was virtually no improvement. It's just not right. It's absolutely awful. Dave, uh, do you got a similar story to tell? Yeah, I mean, I again, the um, I think the information they communicated really at points was not brilliant. Um, it, it took me two and a half hours to get there on the coach. 
um, when we got there, you know, they were running very, very short of things like food and drink, um, sort of, you know, three, three and a half to four hours before the game, which, you know, given they basically put us in a, in a sort of dust bowl in the middle of nowhere, I thought that was, that was pretty poor. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up deciding that the bus situation looked so bad. I just jumped on the Metro, which they told us not to do because that was for the Inter fans. But the Inter fans have been so utterly welcoming and friendly and, you know, very sort of chivalrous throughout the whole thing. that I thought, you know, get, getting that is going to be uh, far better than, than waiting around for what you ever, whatever UEFA had in store. So I had a lovely Metro journey back with some very nice Inter Milan fans. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I'd like to echo what Paul said, that for all this logistical problems that between UEFA and, you know, the authorities, what a wonderful, welcoming people in the city of Istanbul. Clearly love their football, really happy they were there. Super, uh, you know, the hospitality was fantastic when you were in the city in taxi. People were super keen to welcome the fans and it was super harmonious until we had to deal with the buses and whatever UEFA had put on for us. I, I, just one thing, I don't know your view, I thought the seats aside, which didn't sort of tip up and were kind of solidly stuck into the concrete, and many people had damaged sort of backs of their legs as a result of it, sort of standing up and sitting down and catching their legs. I thought the stadium wasn't bad. I thought actually it was quite a good stadium, actually. I thought it, uh, certainly from my seat, it was once you're in there, it was sort of quite spacious and, and, and was roomy, had a good view of the ground. As you rightly say, in terms of the food outlets and the queues, I actually gave up queuing. I literally, I queued for an hour and I didn't, hadn't moved very much. I thought, I'm just sorry, I'm just going to go and sit in my chair. I've been stood up for three hours in the fan zone. I didn't really fancy standing up for another three hours in the food queue in the uh, in the stadium. But I didn't think the stadium was that bad. It was all the infrastructure around it. Tony, am I being fair or have I got that wrong? No, I mean, it was, it was noticeable, wasn't it? The two sets of fans were stuck both at the far ends behind the... Uh far end of the, the running track with the worst view while all the corporates had the best seats along the side of the pitch and the trophy presentation afterwards was towards the corporates instead of the fans who traveled thousands of miles and incurred thousands of costs i mean just i'm not going to reiterate what everyone said i mean the buck stops with uefa it was an absolute disgrace that no one was killed in that car park there wasn't a single steward helping people people were just running around desperately trying to jump on a bus it's outrageous people were walking back on the motorway um to get out of there you know again people could have been killed there you know my friends who got the bus earlier than i did their bus stopped in ikea to ask for directions the driver didn't know where to go so she's got a lovely new sofa but she missed kickoff you know it's not right she's traveled halfway around the world for that game and then we all got fleeced by taxi drivers i tried to stay near the ground because i couldn't get there till quite late i had to run the last two kilometers because i couldn't get there then i couldn't buy any water so i nearly passed out um you know and it's just it you know in time i'm guess we'll all forget about the horrors of it but no this should have been the greatest night of our lives and a party afterwards and it felt like sat on that bus for two hours afterwards you know like we were being you know we were criminals being deported out of the country or something it just shouldn't be like that um even at the airport, call me naive, I assumed there would be at least one person telling you where the shuttle buses were into town. There was one wonky sign put up, nothing. I was there an hour before the rest of my my posse, as it were. I had an hour to try and find this bus. I gave up. We got a taxi in the end. So notwithstanding all of that, fantastic occasion. But UEFA just need to sort this. It's the second year in a row. It's been an absolute disgrace. And I'm really, really disappointed. And I know nothing will be done of it, but what can you do? 
Thank you. I feel Let's better. Let's move on. That. No, good. No, then thank you. And that's isn't. I'm sure people who weren't there, they've read about. It. It's really interesting to hear that uh, all of us had very similar experiences in terms of getting to and from, and and, and it really was. You heard some horror stories. Our, our good friend John Stapledon, I saw quoted mm. his son Nick quoted in in some of the press into people literally urinating outside and 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 having to vomit outside of windows because coach drivers refused to stop, etc. I mean, real horror stories. And you say it, the buck stops with UEFA. They have to do it differently. They have to think about these match-going fans, and they just don't do that. So uh, I suspect nothing will change. Wembley, hopefully, we've been there so many times. If we, if we get there next year, it might be slightly easier for us <laughs> all to get down there and, and navigate our way around. Um, I hesitate before I ask this question, but I'm going to ask it because everybody's doing the same thing. When I was asked it, I avoid the question, uh, but you're not allowed to do it. Um, is this team better than the 99 treble-winning side? Want to refuse? Should we just move on? Should we just forget that and say what a ridiculous question? The short answer is, of course, they're better. And why? I don't want to snatch why? why? Well, let's just stick to the stats, shall we? And Stato, I don't know if you were going to cover this, but United's win ratio that season, 56%. Our win ratio, 73%. United drew 20 games that season. Okay. They conceded 60 goals. We conceded 33. That was in an era, let's be clear, of a big four. We're in an era now of, well, arguably a big six or seven, depending on who you pick. So I think if you're going to judge it, everyone has their own view on style, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think the stats speak for themselves. Um, unquestionably, on that basis, I would say, and I know I'm a blue and I know I hate United, um, but we've done the treble, we've done the treble treble, you could, we've done the EDS and reserves treble. We've, we've just done it all. I do not know what more we have to prove and the stats prove it. Right, moving on. Uh, I'm glad I asked the question. I didn't really want to even ask it, and you've mentioned them by name now, which doesn't really work on this show for me, but you've done it now. Uh, let's, let's talk about the greatest manager, uh, Dave Hodgson, who has probably ever lived. Um, and this, if there was any doubt, if there was any doubt, now this man is a genius. What this man has achieved, what a genius he is, what a, what a superstar, what a, just, the, the, just words fail me. You know, statues, he can have as many as he likes as far as we've done statues last three weeks. I don't really want don't really want to do statues again. But just help us, you know, again, how do you feel about let's talk about some emotions. What do you feel about this man that we have the privilege to have as our manager, that we can watch the team that he's managed for all these seasons? What a what a man. A genius of that nature comes along once a generation if you're lucky. Probably more with probably you know, probably less frequently than that with someone like him. He has probably given one of the greatest ever managerial season performances. If you if you rewind to, to January after the Spurs game where he basically called out the fans, he called out the players, he talked to the culture of complacency. He then had to take the very, very difficult decision of selling, of basically getting rid of his only recognised left back who was causing trouble <laughs> in the dressing room, if rumours are to be believed. Difficult decision. He basically said we were going to have to play a centre-back there. He's called out De Bruyne and made him better. He's called out Walker and made him better. He's come up with a tactical innovation with, you know, John Stones pushing out of centre back to basically prop up the midfield, whether he puts, you know, whether he's starting at right back or from the centre. He's changed the whole way we think about, you know, well, you know, that, that is a way that people have not used a back four really before. He's adapted to the fact he basically has one senior recognised fullback. He's done all this and he's not just done this to, scrape a team together to the title. He's done this to take them to something that has only been done once in England in an era of 
you know, where things are, you know, super competitive. Maybe you could say other teams fell a little bit short and that's benefited us, but he's managed to get, you know, a side that looked like they were, you know, struggling for positivity, for momentum, for key players and key positions and bring it all together at the perfect time in a way that he just seems to have this knack of getting teams ready for a run in, hitting the stride for all the right games and then getting them across the finish line. I think the man's a genius. I think what he's done for us is, you know, is one is one of the all-time great managerial jobs. He's a virtuoso. I don't think we will ever see anything like him ever again. That's, so emotions uh, are pretty positive. Um, <laughs> so what do you really think about him, Dave? I'm, not, I'm a bit unclear exactly what you think about Pep. I'm not sure if you've been clear enough. So we'll give, let's see if uh, Stato and... And Tony can help because I don't think you've really been that clear in terms of your views. So let's have a think about it. We'll come back to you at the end. So uh, can you help Stato a bit? Stato, can you help Dave a little bit? I'm not sure if he's he's quite articulated how he feels well enough. What do you think? Polly can't articulate it any differently. He's a genius. Not Dave. I'm sure Dave is as well. Pep is a genius. Effectively, um, just manage it. He's changed football. It's football when you see it played most divisions right down to amateur level. And even the kids, I think, are trying to do it, playing out from the back. That was never done. All the great managers of the past, and there's been plenty behind before Pep, have never been as innovative, changes the game regularly to suit the style. We bought Harlem in the season. He possibly thought, I'm going to be a bit weaker in midfield. So what does he do? He changes to his inverted fullbacks to flood midfield with an extra put player in there to change the style. And he adapts and changes regularly. And only a genius can do that because he knows how to set it up and win the games. Uh, um, I'll be devastated when he leaves, but let's hope he stays for a few more seasons. Is that going to happen then, do you think? Uh, you have a, a bit of a go at uh, Pep, if you like, then, Tony. But in terms of what next, is he going to do another year? Is he going to do an, how, how long can we hold him? hold on to him? Because when he goes, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? How, how do you replace the irreplaceable? Very difficult. Um, I think he's got another two years on his contract. I hope, I pray. I kind of think he will stay for that, but he puts so much emotional, physical energy into it. You just wonder how long he can go, keep going. But no, he's just... The, the genius of the man is, is not just to win trophies. It's that we keep doing it. We've seen, you know, how good Liverpool were when they won it and look how they keep dipping after a season of that sort of intensity. And we keep coming back and not just doing the same, but even getting better. That's the frightening thing, isn't it? So, yeah, he's got my respect as a manager, as a person, as a as a fellow Mancunian, dare I even say, these days. And he's united that club and long may he continue. And what do we need for next season then, Dave? I mean, where, where, where do we go from here? I mean, it's we hear that maybe one or two players, three, four players maybe might be going. There's one is rumoured to be coming in. Um, just just help us summarise your thoughts in terms of what we need, because what he's managed to do, as you've all said, in, in different ways, is he's managed to move us on tactically, emotionally, in terms of our hunger for more. Each season, he just seems to build and build and build and change things. He's innovative. So what is it we need next season to make sure we just go again? So I think there's two key things. I think the first thing, as ever with all these things, is you know when you do something like we've just done, and a lot of players could see this as a very natural point of having completed everything they could do here. You know, players may want to leave. What we have to make sure we do is we don't get any weaker. That The players we bring in to replace the players who want to go are of a similar calibre. And albeit they may take a bit of a bedding in period, we need to make sure those replacements are of 
similar, if not better standard than the players who are going to leave with maybe a better future runway as well. And the other thing is, as we said, you know, Pep has, has worked miracles this season with, you know, certain options not available to him. It's not really there for him to play orthodox fullbacks. I think if he wanted to play, you know, more out and out wingers in the way he did with, say, Leroy Sane in the, in the you know, um, in the hundred point season, those options have not been available to him either. It may well be that he now views his football as entirely based on inverted wingers, and he doesn't want to pursue that line. But I think you know the club have got to be looking to make sure that Pep has the full range of options available to him, so that you know these tactical innovations he comes up with. He has greater flexibility in doing that. You know, maybe there are games he would want to play four centre backs. Maybe there are games where he'd like to have a an orthodox left back to partner Kyle Walker or something like that for certain games. I think that's going to be a very key part of this discussion as well. But I think the main thing is, as I say, that first priority, making sure that where players do leave, we're coming up with the replacements who are not going to let the levels we've hit this season drop. What are you looking for next season, Stato? What do you think we need? Well, it depends who leaves as to who we need. Um, accepting that Gundogan might be on his way to Barcelona, Bernardo might be moving on. Um, I'm not sure when Kovacic is, is rumoured to be joining us. That that will be a good signing from what I've seen of him. I don't know the European market that well to to know, understand who we might need. But we clearly need a couple of players to replace Bernardo and Gundogan if they go. Um, and you always need to refresh the squad as well, regardless of the fact that we just won the treble. You want to bring in one or two new players just to have the challenge in there uh, and push on to the next level. Uh, I'm not sure whether Gomez will still be with us next season and one or two others that might not be. But we'll have to see. What do I want next season? I'll be very happy with just the Premier League next season in terms of trophies because that will be, has never, ever been done before or successive league titles, whether it was the old first division or the Premier League. And that's to me, you could, we'd call it, I'd call it a day. <laughs> That'd be it. Well, you'd support Oldham Athletic or something, or stop, stop ah, County when you say you call it Oldham a day. Athletic. Oldham Athletic, the only team we've played this century that we haven't beaten. Exactly. That's why I mentioned them. Uh, very good. Thank you, Stato, for helping us out. Uh, Tony, brief, briefly, if you would, then on uh, kind of next season thoughts and reflections ahead of, as the guys have rightly said, we don't know who's leaving yet, and that will obviously depend on what we want. But what are you kind of looking for? Stato's come up with four Premier League titles on the trot would be quite special. Any other any other dreams? Well, you know still- what? I think we should just save at the moment for a while in all seriousness. Let's worry about next season in a couple of weeks. We have just done something utterly, utterly remarkable, and we've done it in incredible style and with great courage. And we've all been there for it through thick and thin. So let's just enjoy it. And the one thing I know about this club is they will have a plan and they will bring in somebody who probably many of us have never heard of who will be the next Fernandinho or the next Rodri, players of that calibre. So I trust the club. They'll deal with it. And I'm sure whatever little we may know about Gundo and whether Bernardo goes, it will be in hand. So let us just bask in Something utterly fantastic and unprecedented. So something that happened to me at the airport waiting to come back, lots of sort of sky blue shirts milling around the airport, as you would have seen. Uh, And there's one guy, and I hadn't even thought about this, and Stato, you're a man who travels the world following City far more than I ever do. And he talked about this European Super Cup and the Club World Cup, and I hadn't given it a thought. Mm-hmm. And I just, and when other teams play, I think well, that's not proper. Proper. It, it, how seriously do do we take this? Because genuinely, I had to ask him who we were playing, 
Um, well, I just had no idea. So your your thoughts and reflection, I thought it's something we're now in, and people talk about trophies, and there's another two trophies on offer here. Well, we play Seville in... Uh, yes, in, my, my friend at the airport told me it was Seville. Yeah, I have no idea. Seville in Athens or Piraeus, which is just outside Athens, so it's possibly right. another horrible journey, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's um, second week in August. It's after the first weekend of the season. I will, will not be going to for that match. Uh, and then it's the World Club Championship is in Saudi Arabia in December. Um, I'm 99.9% certain I won't be going to that either. It's... Um, and the teams involved, I think they've extended it as well. Traditionally, it used to be the teams from South America and Europe would get a bye to the semi-final and the teams from the rest of the world would play a pre-match to get into the semi-final. I think they've extended it to get other teams in there now. I've got a, I'm not certain, but I think Real Madrid are in it next season as well. This season, the one we play in. It's just extra games and extra games and extra games and the players are just going to be burnt out. Yeah, do we want to win it? Of course you'd like to win it. Am I that bothered if we didn't win it? It's not like failing in the European Cup last night uh, on Saturday. That would have been devastating. If we don't beat Seville or we don't win that, I wouldn't be devastated. It would be nice to win, though. All right. Uh, quiz time, then. Uh, you ready? And we've got some Twitter questions as well. We've had some really good questions come in. So we'll do the quiz uh, and a few few Quidder Twitter questions as well. Here we go. Phil Foden, 23 years of age. How many winners' medals has he got with Manchester City? Twenty, just he's twenty-three. How many winners' medals does Phil Foden have? Dave Hodgson, need a number from you now, please. Twelve. Twelve. Stato. I was going to say eleven. Okay. Tony. I'll have, I'll have to go for thirteen then. You're the closest. Fourteen. Twenty-three-year-old Phil Foden has fourteen winners' medals. How many has Harry Kane got? No, don't ask that question. It's no problem. <laughs> Harland. Harland, we know he scored 52 goals. We also know he's failed to score in his last five. How many were outside the box, please? One. Dave? I would have also said one, but I'll go with two. Okay. Tony? On the basis, I don't think he's got three. I'll have to say zero, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> Stato's right. Just the one. Against Wolves. Correct. Uh, so most subbed on player, the player who was most subbed on this season. I'll give you a clue. He came on twenty six times. Could have been a could be a second part of the question, couldn't it? Really, in terms of how many was it? So most subbed on player, uh, Tony. Oh, twenty six times, blind. Yes, exactly. Can I? Can I? Can I form a breakaway Super League at this point and refuse to answer? No? Yeah, you can refuse to answer if you um, want. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, time's up. Yeah, Calvin time's Phillips. I know it's Calvin wrong. Fe- okay. It is wrong, but okay. Good guess. Uh, Stato, Stato? I'll go Alvarez. Alvarez. Dave? Oh, yeah. In which case, I'll go Mares. Yeah, well, Alvarez is right. Well done. Mm. And the most subbed off... And there were two who were subbed off the, the, the again, they were subbed off 22 times and they both came the same. So, Dave, you can go first. Kevin De Bruyne. Okay. Stato? I don't think he's right. I'll go Haaland. Uh, you don't have to answer because it's KDB and Haaland. Good work, guys. Excellent. Very, very good. Marvellous. Um, listen, let's uh, let's look at Twitter because we did have some really good questions. And I think, uh, didn't you make a comment as well yourself, Stato, I think already before we get into the uh, into the questions, didn't you yourself make a comment about Istanbul and back in 1968? Do you want to kick off with that? 
Yeah, I made this the statement for, from Alison to uh, the Ataturk because Alison said we, we, we will terrorise Europe in 1968, having just won the league. Our first European excursion was against Fenerbahce. Uh, we didn't terrorise Europe last year. We we got beat 2-1 in Turkey, having drew 0-0 at uh, Main Road. So that was the end of our European Cup um, chances. So my, my comment was from Alison to the Ataturk because we started there and we've just finished our European Cup uh, journey so far in terms of we've won it for the first time there. So I just think it was a nice sort of circle in a way. So our good friend uh, Matt Crossman, who comments quite a lot on Twitter, has asked, he's interested in exploring the tensions on FFP a bit more. Lifelong City fan here, feeling like the whole thing is just a bit tainted. Dave, is it a bit tainted? We've still got these 100-odd charges. Uh, we haven't really talked about it much. Innocent till proved guilty is where I stand, and I'm sure we will follow this in, in years to come, whenever it's sorted. We will, of course, we'd have to. But is it a bit tainted, our, our good friend Matt? I would say no. And look, I don't want to go into a full dissection of this. It's been covered more than enough times, and this is definitely not a day for that. But, you know, this is a financial matter, really, not a sporting matter. It's complex matters of reporting, of finance that are going to drag on for a while because these are far too complicated to be solved quickly and probably in the court, in the medium they're being looked at. But look, what's the alternative? What is it to compete in modern football? It's not like, you know, you can turn around with limited resources and mount a sustained challenge on the established teams. And I really hope that we don't turn all this sort of, um, you know, witch hunting into these, you know, looking into every aspect of these financial measures to try and, stifle teams coming up and disrupting the established order as we did you know if there are the really serious breach for saying that's going to be a problem but until that's proved you know i look at it and go we invested what we needed to do to get ourselves to the top tier we're now a very sustainable business model we've got this squad which you know our net spend has you know come right down in recent years we've been able to keep that level of of scale up and ultimately this is down to the players we have the side we put together, the style of football Pep has implemented and what our club has become. I, I think these things are entirely separate from these, these allegations. I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. The players deserve it. The fans deserve it. The manager deserves it. The club deserves it. Tony, bit tainted. Well, if you believe the press, yes. But, you know, I can only wholeheartedly agree with what Dave said. Let's be clear. We've not just invested in the team. We've invested in the stadium. We've invested in the whole of East Manchester and East Manchester is far, far better for it. So I just, I don't really understand what these people want. You know, maybe we should be like a certain team from Stratford who spent far more than us on players and just hasn't been as successful as a, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of jealousy here. No one was complaining when the rags won the title seven years out of nine about, you know, how they were dominating the game and it was terrible. When Liverpool were on for the quadruple, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. But, you know, we win the Champions League once and all of a sudden it's the end of football. Well, you know what? If it's not about money, we should never have had a Premier League. It is, I'm afraid. That's the reality. And what we've done, we've done it beautifully. So I'm going to enjoy it. Sod them. Uh, I'm going to leave that one there. Uh, Stato, uh, now we've actually won it. This is from Guermo. Um, do you feel differently about the Champions League? And he says, I feel it was far more important than I allowed myself to believe until full time yesterday. I've always wanted to win it in the last, well, well, I've had a chance of winning it. I've always wanted to win it. It's the last few seasons. It's not been my priority, as most people on this show know, Premier League has been top of this. But this season I switched and said, yeah, we've got to get this Champions League uh, monkey off our back. And we've done it. So 
yes, we've done it. Do I want to go and win it again? It'd be nice to win it again, but we've at least won it once. Nobody can say um, you don't know what it's like to win the Champions League. We know what it's like. It was absolutely fantastic. Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I always view the Premier League as the best test of who is the best, you know, who is the best side going because you've got so much more, you know, sort of, you know, the, the best side over that period of time. There's so many games that you play that you really have to be consistently good to achieve that. And, you know, we have achieved excellence in that field consistently. I think the European Cup clearly meant a lot to the players. I think as this run built on, as we saw, you know, the established giants of, you know, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich fall away. And, you know, we did that in style. I think that, you know, really started to show us really that we were becoming one of the, you know, one of the great teams. Was, you know, really sort of the fans started building into that loop and that built the hype up around the Champions League for us. And particularly the fact that we could win all three in the same season Kill the European Cup, who do I think it's fantastic, and I think you know there's going to be a very different attitude to it as well. I think everyone's going to be so keen to retain it next season. Um, quite a few other questions. Anthony asked us about Pep as well, but I think we're already on to the question about Pep. Listen, um, that brings us to the end of yet another season. Um, really, it just really, I just want to thank uh, a number of people before we go. Huge thanks to Playback Media, of course, to Mike and Paul there, to our sponsors, and to our advertisers. Uh, to my regular contributors, who again, the three of you have been amazing again this week. To our amazing engineer, Leon. Let's hear it for Leon. Hey. He's saying nothing. He's, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's just in the background there, but presses all the buttons to make sure that it gets out to you every week too. And of course, the most important people of all, that's you, our listeners. It is a pleasure to spend time each week discussing and debating everything Man City. Um, and at the end of all that, the end of another season, all it leaves for me to say is, this is Nigel Rothband. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.